What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Collective, brought to you by Heavy on Sports. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Keith Smith. How's it going today, Keith? It's going good, man. Yeah, we're, we're coming in a little, little bit better uh, for this one, but better spirits, I think. Celtics coming off a win instead of a string of disastrous overtime losses. So so I think we'll take it, right? That's a that's a step in the right direction, especially. I know we're going to get into it later, but big, big, big uh, portion of the schedule looming here over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say that we both look a bit more happy to be on this episode like if you're watching on the video feed you can see that we're smiling more than the last time we don't have steam coming out of our ears uh that's always good i'm happy with that definitely a big six game stretch on the road which we will touch on just to give everyone the the rundown for today's show we're going to look back at the cavaliers game look at the trailblazers game which took place last night uh from when we're recording and then we're going to look ahead to the hawks we'll probably touch on the, the the road trip in a bit more detail next week, but we'll look at it as a whole here as well. And then we've got a few discussion points for you, ranging from moving away from double bigs to whether Robert Williams is really a difference maker this season. So I think the best thing we can do is just jump in and we'll just touch on the Cavs game, you know, because I think there was some encouraging signs there that bled over into the game against Portland. So double, what? no, sorry, single overtime loss coming off the back of a double overtime loss. Um, the Celtics played well in that game, I'd say. I know they lost, and I think they played well for three quarters. And then just at the end of the third, everything started to fall apart again. They start, slowed their pace of play down. They stopped trying to get into the paint, and they just opened the door for the Cavs. And as we said on the last episode, and we kind of predicted it to a degree, the perimeter defense really struggles with shifty, fast guards, and Cleveland have two of them. Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell both got their their groove going. Credit to the Celtics, they limited Jarrett Allen's ability to impact the game, but that allowed Evan Mobley to kind of get his footing in there as the game wore on as well. Any major takeaways you had from that, either good or bad? Uh, Mom, with you that the process for the uh, basically almost the whole first three quarters was really, really good. I thought the defense was really aggressive. I thought they were relatively locked in. I thought they did a really nice job keeping Garland and Mitchell from getting to shots that they wanted to get to. Those two combined, I mean, if you look at the whole game, they shot 20 of 52, like which just sounds kind of like weird numbers, right? 52 shots, but, uh, you know, and that's not – that that's – pretty good right that's pretty good defense you're 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 pretty locked in on that you're you're really kind of holding them under control but then i think i'm not trying to give them an excuse or an easy out it just feels like they ran out of gas it was a shorthanded roster they didn't have uh tatum and horford and rob is obviously still out uh brown looks like he was still sort of finding his footing a little bit um after the, the being out uh, himself for a game so it just w- was kind of messy and they, they they didn't close well uh they got super sloppy at points in the overtime on both ends of the floor uh was not a well-played overtime by either team i think both teams were pretty ready to go but i mean they were right there right so that's kind of all, all you can ask for Late game rebounding again, major issue. Could couldn't secure a big rebound um, in the fourth quarter. It ended up being uh, um, a situation where Evan Mobley uh, tipped one out after they get the stop, and then couldn't couldn't rebound the ball. So that that's another male remainder, male remaining issue. But I didn't leave that game feeling like, well, 
this is it. You know, the whole season's over. If anything, I left it like, all right, they're in a game with a pretty good team on the road with, you know, the, these, uh, you know, stars missing or starters at least missing the game. So you got to feel slightly encouraged by that. I think that what we saw as well was coming off an episode where we spoke about too much perimeter action. They committed to getting into the paint. They committed yeah. to driving the ball, uh, at least for the first three quarters, maybe two point two quarters and three eighths of the third quarter. They really <laughs> did put some effort in in penetrating and finding the right finding the right shot. Not just finding an open shot, but the right shot. And there is a difference there. You can be wide open and it still not be the best shot possible. Yeah, uh, I think that overall there was encouraging signs. I mean, one thing I kind of took away was. The Cavs, to me, are a more functional version of the Hawks in the sense that they run very much a two-man game on offense almost consistently. They don't really incorporate too many other guys in their rotation as like a, a feature of their offensive outlook. And that can be quite easy to stop at times. As you said, the Celtics did a good job of limiting Garland and Mitchell from getting to their spots. But it can also lead to breakdowns when they do start to incorporate. So whenever Mobley started coming in from the corner it kind of catches you off guard a little bit because he's been spent so much time kind of spacing the floor and then just being a rebounder and a facilitator that now you have to adjust. And that seems to be where the Celtics' problems have been over their losing streak is making those adjustments or making them quickly enough. So I, I, I came away quite encouraged. The offense looked better. They did a good job of limiting two very good scoring guards. And then, as you said, they ran out of gas and they were shorthanded. But I felt all the good points definitely bled over into this game against Portland. Yeah, big time, especially the getting into the paint portion. Now, if you didn't watch the game and you just looked at the box score, you're like, what are you two talking about? They took 49 three-pointers. Over half of their shots were from three. But they were good looks created often by the ball hitting the paint first. Uh, for those who are unaware, and if you're watching, listening to this, you probably are. But if you're not, um, check out over on um, Celtics blog, I write a takeaways column where I cut clips from, from the game. And you can, can check that out and see what that looks like. And in those clips, a lot of those clips are they're either good ball movement plays or they're there. I'm highlighting something else, but you'll notice the ball is hitting the paint first uh, on those. So that's really, really important. It's been something that Joe Missoula has talked about. The players have talked about. Brian Scalabrini harps on on the broadcast of ball's got to get inside. And it's fine if it ends in a three, but just get inside, cause the defense to rotate and those sort of things. And I thought their spacing in this game was phenomenal against Portland. There were multiple plays where it was a true, like, five-out offense with someone attacking either um, straight from the top or from the wing, uh, occasionally from the baseline, but the, they stayed spaced. There wasn't any of that guys running into each other on a cut or someone just hanging out in the dunker spot. That's not a criticism on Rob because that's what his role is when he's out there, but just a very, very interesting um, setup and situation for the Celtics here in this game, and they, they took advantage of – I don't want to go too far because it's a very bad Portland defense. Um, but the more important thing is instead of just kind of going through the motions and not playing the right way, Boston played the right way and they played the right way so well through three quarters in that game that the starters never even needed to see the floor in the uh, fourth quarter Tatum and smart uh, in Horford and Brown, the main three 
our main four starters that played in this one never touched the floor in the fourth quarter, not even for a cameo appearance. And that's great because that means the bench also did their job holding the lead. I will talk about the the spacing on a, um, in a little while. I want to save that for another segment. I do have some thoughts on the way they were touching the paint as well. Uh, they were running the exact same actions they were running two weeks ago. The same stagger screens, the same pin downs, maybe some slight variations with putting guys like Derek White as the screener in certain actions and then asking him to facilitate out of the short roll. The difference was when guys were coming off those screens, they were looking to penetrate. They wanted at least to get an elbow touch. That, like, that seemed like the bare minimum, right? My foot must touch the elbow before I kick it away. And this is where I call shenanigans on the NBA stats website because I've pulled the numbers for paint touches from that game and they've got it as 12 paint touches. And I'm calling no shenanigans. Yeah, I'm no like, way. <laughs> maybe yeah. in the first quarter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's funny, just a little <laughs> behind the scenes, Adam and I were talking about how like, yeah, the fourth quarter of this game, there wasn't a whole lot to take away. Maybe somebody who was logging those paint touches turned it off after Q1 and was just like, eh, I've seen enough. I'm not putting any more effort into this one. I don't know. Yeah, I find that um, a really low number. Um, I, it was just something that I found quite interesting in drawing. I mean, they, they got more layups than that. So like it felt <laughs> like. So there's got to be more than 12 paint. I, yeah, that's just weird. They made 44 drives according to the stats website. I don't know whether that seems a bit low as well. I guess they were driving and stopping immediately upon touching the lane like there was a force field and not. This was lane. exactly my thought. Like, <laughs> I'm calling shenanigans and I hope yeah. they see this video so they can fix it uh, because right now I've lost all faith in their paint touches tracking and I don't know where else to get it from. Yeah, I'm going to hope. Outside of that, I think that their defense was quite good as well. I, I think that Jason Tatum's screen navigation, which was something that we touched on in the last episode, he just looked more, more ver- not just more bouncy, right? He just looked like you could tell he had a few days rest, and I know yeah. Scal was harping on about that as well. Their rotation seemed to be good. Their switches were good. They were executing peel switches, which uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of the peel switch just because it saves you having to take contact before initiating the switch. Um, overall, I thought they played really well. The only downside I'd have is talking of offensive rebounds, and giving up offensive rebounds, it felt like the end of the fourth against Cleveland was how they started against Portland. Portland seemed to kind of get an early control of that offensive glass, but then Boston managed to start going back to their box outs because, you know, Boston are one of the best teams in the league in boxing out. I think last time I checked, they were like top two, top three. Um, Which is why they're statistically the best defensive rebounding team in the league, even if at times that seems absolutely bonkers right that seems like there's no way that's true yeah it's just you know fundamental basketball and i think that you know after that Cavs game if i remember correctly joe mazula said during a press conference that he was actually quite frustrated that they went away from their boxing out late in the game he used a he used a curse word but we'll keep this pg-13 <laughs> we'll keep this pg-13 what's um, funny is i wonder with the box outs too and again it's this is not an excuse because this is games last 48 minutes or that case recently 53 or 58 minutes but you have to do the, the the little things that are so important all game long and you can't when you're tired not find a body to to get somebody on um you know when they're dialed in when smart white brogdon get their butt into a big and they're driving them out of the paint on a box out sometimes it, it even ends in a foul and that's fine to me because you hit a guy enough 
going to the glass, they're going to stop going to the glass. And in this Portland game, there was a point where I was like, here we go again. Because Drew Eubanks, I want to say it was like for like a three-minute stretch, tipped out at least four or five balls. Uh, the, the two of them ended up going out of bounds. But it was like, all right, we're going to do this again with you know Drew Eubanks killing these guys on the glass. But <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting all verklempt and worked up over it. <laughs> But they worked it out and they they cleaned it up. So that's the important thing. And that, I mean, this is going to be what I've been harping on about um, mainly over on my Instagram page is adjustments. It's knowing when to make the adjustments and executing those adjustments. And I think that Joe Mizuda recently has rightly and wrongly, there's a fair and unfair side to this argument, received some criticism for being too slow to adjust or just too rigid to adjust. But the, yeah. as you said, the Celtics definitely figured it out on the offensive, uh, well, defensive rebounds for them. I think another thing that you actually saw from them as well was just a willingness to diversify the, their shot profile in general. So there was a bit more mid-range, not much, but there was uh, Jalen Brown is usually the main culprit there. But then there was also guys crashing from the corners. I feel like we saw more guys attacking out of the corners than what we usually do. Horford did it as some... I think we saw Brogdon do it a couple of times. He had one, I think, in the second where he kind of drove, stopped, hesitated, drove again, hesitated again, and then got the finish. And I was just like, that's Malcolm Brogdon's game. He's super twitchy, super good with those hezzies. Um, well, so it was just great personal space for him, right? Like he always, uh, he reminds me of Gordon Hayward in that way where it was, it's not always super fast, but occasionally it is. But it's always whatever speed he wants to be going at. And he can slow down, speed up, change speeds within the same dribble move, which is really rare. You don't see that all that often. A lot of guys, once they get up to top speed, that's it. Like, it's now we're at top speed. And I think Brogdon does a nice job of attacking quick, but then he can slow it down and then get back up to speed if he needs to to finish around the rim. And that's going to say all that with he had a super off shooting night just couldn't, couldn't find the range, couldn't find the touch, uh, both inside and outside. And, you know, it's one of those where a bunch of people on Twitter said it, and I think they're right. Rather have it in a game where you're winning by 20 than, you know, in a game where you're, you know, in a two-point game. And that's that's 100% true. And they, quite frankly, you know, had he hit some of his looks, Celtics probably win by, you know, 30 or 40 uh, last night. But that's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have their rough nights, and it's very easy to forget that Brogdon missed some time himself recently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I always think that the first game back after missing a few games is very disingenuous because guys kind of the adrenaline takes over the eagerness to kind of put some points up. It's usually that second, third or fourth game where you see them regress and you're like, yeah, he's a little bit rusty. He could do a bit like, you know, he's going to need some time to build back up. Moving on, we spoke about you mentioned the spacing in this game, and this is something that I've been quite vocal about over the last week. And that's moving away from the double big lineup. I think that, you know, you go back and look at all of the success that the Celtics have had to start the season where their offense, it was based on a five out system that had four ball handlers and then a big that could shoot the ball. And realistically is five ball handlers because Al Horford can handle the rock as good as any big in the league. Um, That gives you exceptional decision-making, three-level scoring across the board, and it gives you multiple guys that can screen. And you're not really playing small because Tatum and Rob are basically the same height. So you're not really losing any size there. You're losing a little bit of explosiveness, but then they go away from that to go to this double big. 
and we start to see the defense slightly improve, but the offense tumble. And I know you've said this before, the offense didn't, the defense didn't improve enough to mitigate the amount of offensive drop that we saw. And then that's when the team started to become a bit more inconsistent. They go back to a five-out offense, and all of a sudden the pace is great. The uh, you know the decision making is fantastic. Paint touches are back. Ball movements back. Everybody's cutting. For me, I've just kind of come to the conclusion that maybe the best five from last season isn't going to be the best five for this season. I think there's truth in that too, and I think a big part of it is Derek White's ascension this year. There, there are if you're going to run the best five from last year, so Rob Horford. Tatum, Brown, and Smart, there's no room for White at the end of these games, and I feel like he should be on the floor more. And that's something Joe Missoula said. can't remember if it was after the Knicks game or the Cavs game, but he basically owned. I should have had Derek White in there more. I, I think it was the Knicks game because the Cavs game, White was out there. So I think what happens in those situations is it's it, to me, becomes more matchup-dependent if you're playing Philadelphia or Milwaukee, I probably want to start big just because you want Rob working as that extra rim protector, right? You you, you can't have, you, you can't put it all on Al to be the only guy to hold down the paint. And Tatum improved considerably, especially as a weak side, you know, shot blocker and a help man. But I think you, you just, you need that extra, but that doesn't mean, then you have to always have two bigs on the floor, right? It doesn't have to be, all right, we go to the, go to the bench and it's, you know, Alan Grant, or then it's Robin Grant. And then we're back to, you know, Robin Al again in the next rotation. And, all right, well, we have to mix in Cornette, Muscala, and all those guys. Like there's time and place for all of that. And again, against Embiid, you're probably running just about everybody out there for some period of time, because I think that the only way to, to defend him is throw a million different looks at him. Keep him off balance. Keep him off kilter, and just try to try to get him, you know, kind of out of rhythm as best you can. But yeah, when you're playing teams like like Portland that are really going to have one big and then a bigger wing in Jeremy Grant, and that's really it for size on the floor most of the time. There's no reason to to play two bigs, and obviously I know Rob is out, but you didn't see rarely in the fourth quarter was just a mess of you know bench lineups and weird stuff but rarely were there two bigs on the floor in that game and 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 i think that's what you know we're willing to or we should be willing to remember missoula's learning on the fly here he is what 40 or i'm sorry 66 games into his rookie season as a head coach we wouldn't expect a rookie player to have it all figured out 66 games in and i think we kind of forgot like Hey, a year ago, we went through this exact same stuff where Ime didn't do things early in the early months, and then he did them late, and it was like, hey, he wasn't doing that earlier because he learned and figured it out, and, you know, things changed. So so that's where, yeah, I, I think they're in a better position now to also play those smaller lineups, but my two words of caution is, one, have to rebound in those small lineups, that's where the late game rebounding issues come in. Cause they do still close smaller quite often. And 
you have to continue to play with pace because that's your advantage. There's no point to really playing those smaller lineups and then just walking the ball up the floor every single possession. You got to keep pushing pace, get in your stuff quicker, and you know see where it goes from there. I'd agree with that, and I think that you know what I said to start this conversation was slightly disingenuous because the Celtics don't lose size, but they do lose matchup advantages. You know, Tatum matching up with a three is much different. Um, Another name I threw in there as well was, you know, you go double bigs against the Cavs. Because I did a video on this, year, just like a one-minute reel type of thing on this yesterday. You do you go double big against the Cavs, you throw bigs at Jokic the same way you do Embiid. But then for everybody else, you know, and that might mean that Rob has to come off the bench, at least for the remainder of this season. But as we spoke about previously, he's not exactly the Rob from last season. He, the, there's a bit of explosiveness not there at the moment, a bit more tentative than what we saw last year. He, they're not really utilizing the lob threat in the same way. So maybe him off the bench actually helps. And then you can, as you said, you can plug and play him if you do need that weak side Roma as well. Um, I would also say, th- too, if, if I can on Rob, even if you don't bring him off the bench, you can you can sub out of that earlier. Like yeah. There's nothing to say you can't, you know, four minutes into the game, downsize and force other teams to adjust to you. I think that's been maybe the single biggest difference between Ime Udoka and Joe Mazzula. Udoka hit a point, again, later in the year when they were kind of killing everybody, of forcing teams to adjust to the Celtics. It was, there's here's how we're going to play, and you're going to adjust to us. Where I think Mazzula is sometimes, he's, he's not forcing them to adjust to the Celtics. It's, all right, we're going to see how this goes. All right, now we'll adjust to them. And sometimes, you know, being the team that punches first has an advantage, right? So that's that's another way I think you could get there where you bring in, you know, you, you basically just switch Rob out um, early, but instead of switching Rob out for Grant or Cornette or Mascala or Blake Griffin, you switch him out and you get Derek White in there early, get Brogdon in there earlier, whatever it is. And that allows you not, now you're going small, going into a point. And then maybe, maybe you bring Rob back in almost like how they'll do a Tatum or Brown a lot where they'll come out early and then come back in to bridge the quarters. But you bring Rob back in and he's now back out there, you know, going against the less athletic backline guys. And that's how maybe you can get him going. If, if you do want to continue to start him, because I don't know that he's ever I think since he's become a starter, he's not super effective off the bench because I don't know that he's got the, especially right now, I think he gets all warmed up. He's ready to go and he plays versus you warm up, then you sit, and then it takes him a little while to find his way into the game. But that's kind of nitpicky splitting hair stuff. But I, you know, I, I think a little bit more, let's play matchups. Let's force them to adjust to us. Let's see what that looks like. Let's just making extra moves on the chessboard. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that idea. I just think that we've seen we have so much of a sample size now to know that the Celtics play better when they space better. That it's at least an option that maybe we'll see over the next six games. Maybe we won't. Mazzulu obviously um, has his own ideas how he wants the team to play, and you know when it works, it works fantastically. It's just we haven't seen it work with two bigs as consistently as we did with one. Moving on, talking about Mazzulu's um, ideal kind of offense. There only, if, I mean, if Mazzuda had his way, do you think that he'd just eradicate twos altogether? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think he's still okay with layups, but I think 
it does it does feel that way a little bit that he's you know extremely you know if you're if you're not if you're not laying it in off the board or you know directly into the basket you better be behind the arc shooting it yeah more ball from from Houston right like bit, this yeah. is a, I mean it got to the point where cleaning the glass basically added a statistic that just calculated your success rate at more ball how good are you converting from layups and from deep because those are the two analytically favored approaches. But I've always believed that basketball lives in a gray area with analytics where there's a lot more nuance to everything that's going on. And you mentioned last time about mid-ranges. I also think there needs to be a little bit more consistency with attacking the rim. I, I genuinely believe the more you attack the rim, the more you open up the perimeter. Mm-hmm. And the, less you, the more you shoot from the perimeter, the more you open up the, the rim. So, but at the moment, as you said, uh, against Portland, 50% of their attempts came from deep. And I'm not sure how I feel about 50% of the pie chart being committed to three pointers when we've seen the team shoot themselves out of games um, quite frequently throughout the year. So I just wanted your take. Do you think they're shooting too many threes? Uh, in general, I don't. The ones I don't like are the early clock threes, the off the dribble contested threes. I don't love those. Those are the two that. I want to see those go away. I, I I really, there's almost nothing. And I'm not talking about an early clock three where it's, you pushed it up, the defense isn't set and you find Brown or Tatum or Hauser, or, you know, any one of the good shooters wide open. That's fine. It's the, all right, we got it over half court. We ran a set and we just took the first available shot to us, you know, five, six, seven, eight seconds into the shot clock. Like those ones I don't like. And those you can, as you know, we both watch every game often twice. And if you you don't even need to do that, if you just watch every game, you almost know when Marcus Smart's about ready to take a bad shot. Like it's just you can feel it. It's like he hasn't taken a shot in a while, or he got a bad call, or a guy scored on him. You just know it's coming, right? And it's and he had one even in the Portland game where it was what are you doing? It was, he, I think Damon Lillard scored on him and then he caught it and he shot it. Like maybe it was a Cavs game, but I can't, it was one of the two, but he took like one dribble and shot it with both feet, like just over the line. And it's like, that's not it. Like get, get what are we doing? Like get that shot completely out of here. But for the most part, I don't, I never get, worked up if they're taking open threes and I know people will be like well they're open for a reason that's not true when it's Al Horford in the corner or Sam Hauser or Malcolm Brogdon who's that I think maybe after last night he's dropped but was leading the league in three-point shooting like that's not no nobody's leaving those guys open for a reason if it's smart being left open yeah that could be a game plan thing Sure. If it's, uh, you know, Rob gets a touch 25 feet from the hoop. Yeah, of course they're going to drop off of him. Um, but for the most part, no, I, I don't worry about it. I, I think it's just the quality of the shot versus the type of shot for me. I, you know, if it's a good open shot by a good shooter, let it fly. I'm never going to question that. Okay, that's completely fair. And I'm probably going to sound like an old man shouting at clouds. I do like seeing guys attack the rim. Um can I let, let me say too, if you're deep into the third quarter and you are eight for 40 from three, yeah, probably let's not pull up in transition 
yo, and shoot a three. Let's try to get downhill for something inside. And I think when they were playing at their best early in the season, in those handful of games in those early months where they weren't shooting it lights out, that was Tatum and Brown were better about that of, all right, I'm going to get inside and I'll force a foul and I'll get to the line and, you know, we'll, we'll steal a couple easy points that way. Um, that they do need to do. But if we just kind of look at a game in total, I, I don't rarely do I stress about, wow, they took an awful lot of three-pointers because I think most of them are good open looks. I think, you know, I'm very comfortable with 45 threes a game. Uh, three or four more than that, which is where they've been falling recently in that 49, 52, around. Like, that feels a little bit high, but it's so marginal compared to where I'm comfortable at. Like, we're talking five extra shots, right? And as you, you said, as long as those are good quality shots, then it's fine. I just, and, I agree yeah. with you. There has been a few times where it's just been just Ill, ill-timed or ill-placed shots. And it's just and, like, man, what are you guys doing? And I think you get rid of four or five shots per game by getting rid of the crappy ones. <laughs> yeah. Then, then now you're down in kind of your ideal range of, of shots. So yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm all for having Sam Hauser jack up four or five a game if he's in rhythm. If he's in rhythm, I'm I'm completely fine with it. I'm not completely fine with seeing Marcus Smart take seven threes in a game, which can happen, and sometimes he'll hit six. But law of averages tells me that if he hits four, the next two are going to be heat checks, and he's only hitting them if he's in like supernova type form. <laughs> which is wild because we're so accepting of it it's crazy um yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like i look at it and i and i say this fairly regularly when people will ask and challenge and you know did, did you just think it's time to move on from them and i'm like you know i looked at it as those bad shots in the second and third quarter are more than made up by some insane defensive play that really only marcus smart makes in the fourth quarter uh, more often than not. I bet it more than balances out in the Celtics' favor um, as the season go, goes along. So, yeah, those are frustrating at time. But then I look back and I'm like, well, this is why you have him out there because he makes you know these crazy plays that no one else even – not even makes, but doesn't even try sometimes right it's like it's like that that's why he's you know the guy he is i you know it's that supreme confidence on all all things on the court that he does that you know makes him a special player and it definitely falls into that mitigating as well, right? Like his his defense certainly mitigates the occasional bad shot, which is yep. just another way of saying what you've said. You you articulated it better than me. That's why you've been doing. <laughs> no, I just used more that. words. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last thing I wanted to speak to you about was there was a Chris Mannix kind of interview on NBC Sports Boston. I'm not sure if you saw the tweet on Twitter. Um, he referred to the team. This was after the Cavs game, before the Portland game, ret- referred to the team as the Benjamin Button Celtics, saying everything they did right at the end of last season, they did at the start of this season, and everything they did wrong at the start of last season, they're doing now. But what, and that was fine. Like, you know, I took that as, a, as what it was, just somebody kind of making a statement. But what got me was later in that kind of, I don't know whether you call it an interview or TV spot or whatever it was. Mannix kind of said that he believed that the only way the Celtics are going to stand a chance against some of the elite teams in the East, and I'm assuming he meant West as well, if the the Celtics got to the finals, was to have a fully healthy, fully functional, in terms of explosive and blah, 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 version of Robert Williams. And 
we've just spoke about potentially shortening up Rob's leash a little bit or potentially bringing him off the bench or subbing him out early. So I'm just, I'm curious whether you, you kind of sit on board with that. Like, Hey, you don't need Rob to be on the floor all the time, but you definitely need the best Rob if you expect to make it back to the finals. Cause my outlook is when you made it to the finals, we've had the best Rob last season. He was a shadow of himself when he returned from surgery after the, uh, at the end of that Brooklyn series. And he never really got going throughout the whole, the whole playoffs. But I'm, I am curious at where you stand on that. Yeah, I, I think it's probably more true than not true, actually, because I think when they were that team from you know early January through when Rob got hurt, and they were just destroying teams. I mean, these games weren't they, they weren't even fun to watch anymore because it's like every game was over midway through the third quarter. They were beating teams so badly. And I realize now people are like, man, I would like a few of those now. And I, I get it, right? But it was like after a month of it, it was like, all right, like, can we work at least one close game in here? But you saw that was like the fully formed, like, holy cow, this team is a juggernaut. Like, you can't do anything with them. In the playoffs, they had some struggles, right? Game Seven games against Milwaukee and Miami both. That's not a knock because those are very good teams. But it was, I think if you had a fully healthy Rob, maybe those seasons end or series end earlier if he could really be the guy you wanted. And I think this year, looking at the East, you're probably going to have to go through some combination of Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Cleveland, all big teams, all teams that play with size and can really give the Celtics some problems. And in those matchups, I think that's where you need Rob because you need him to, whether it be help against those bigs, big players, or to just kind of be the guy who's back there to help wall off the paint against the guards as they drive and as they get inside and do do the things. But he needs to be Rob again, right? He can't, he can't, he can't just be Robert Williams. He needs to be Rob. Like, you know, all caps, pop off the page, multiple exclamation points, Rob. And I think by asking him to do less could help him actually get there again. And that that's, you know, for me, I, I do think that is, you know, some level of importance. Can they get there with him kind of doing what he's doing now? Yeah, probably. I mean, like you said, they basically did it last year. But it's I think it's important to know, too, his drop-off has also coincided with Grant Williams has really fallen off uh, in the last couple of months. He's really struggled. Um, Missoula's just – he's still searching, figure out that big rotation – um, with, with that, so that's that's all part of it for me. But yeah, I think overall, you know, they're 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 a good team with this Rob. If they can get the raw, the dominant Rob back, they become a great team. And probably all right at that point, then I would really like if that happens sometime here over the last month of the season, and it's like that's how they head into the playoffs. Then all of a sudden, I'm going to be like, all right, they're the favorites again, and this they're they're a team I feel very confident is going to you know not if fully steamroll, but Probably, you know, roll pretty close into the finals against some pretty good teams just because that's that's what he does. He raises the ceiling so much for this group. And do you think there's a world where he does bounce back to that level? Like, because I, I don't so. feel like we've seen Rob, like all caps, exclamation marks, jump off the page more than two or three times this season, if that. You know, I feel like yep. it's definitely been ramping up slowly. Uh, and I don't know whether that's him, him being very like, um, 
like cognizant of hey i need to save the wear and tear on my body for the postseason or for that final month before and maybe he's just playing at 70 percent purposely maybe he's just mindful of that uh we, we're not privy to that we're not going to know anything about that but that can be in my head i've kind of like like playing possum a little bit and i'm hoping that when he comes back he's like okay playing possum's over and then we start to see the the sky like the high flying ridiculous blocks because that's what puts the fear of God into people. There was a point last season where people were genuinely concerned about going into the paint. You'd see mm-hmm. the the drive and then stop and think, do I really want to try this? <laughs> yeah. And that you've 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 won then because you've got the mental control, you've got that advantage. At the moment, teams have no problem just putting it on him and forcing him to either put his body in the way or try and fake him out because sometimes he still jumps at those pump fakes. So you do need that mental edge again. And I think Rob gives you that when when he's had a week or two of dominating and everybody's like, okay, the paint's off limits again. Yeah, I wonder if this week, week and a half off, um, while he recovers from the hamstring strain, gets him back in a place where it's like, all right, I can go full out now. Now I've had that little bit of dime, down, downtime, I can really, you know, go. Because, yeah, because if it's going to be a tentative guy who's just kind of – I never want to say he's going through the motions, but he's just kind of out there, then that's not going to be good enough. And they're, they're not going to win at the level they want to win at. But if he's out there, you know, like like we said, all caps Rob again, that's very different. And that pretty much brings me to the end of the topics I'd outlined. Is there anything you wanted to hit before we let everybody carry on with their nice day? Well, let's let's just touch on we, big road trip coming up. Six games. Uh, they've got a couple of days off before they go, so um, that that's actually probably a good thing. My guess is I don't know that they've said this, um, put you know, bow to the media yet. But my guess is they probably off today or some level of off. Right in the, in the NBA, there's a very much confusion on off. Like there there are very few true off days, um, and they only really come if you have multiple days without games it's generally an off day is film review and treatment and then for the guys who don't play as much they'll get some on court work in and then probably a practice on uh friday and then probably you know let's get headed to atlanta it's a weird road trip because it's it, let's see if i can do this off memory i think it goes atlanta houston minnesota portland utah sacramento so it's like up and down and left and right across the country. And it's very, very odd. So it's, it's a weird road trip, but it's not a murderer's row of teams. Kings are pretty good. There's a weird back-to-back Portland, Utah, back-to-back in there. That's a kind of an odd one uh, to get through, but these are probably games. I would imagine the Celtics, unless they are full on punting a game or two, probably favored in every single one of these games, probably heavy favorites in a couple of them at least. So I'm looking for anytime it's a six game or more road trip, 500 is, you know, you did it. You did what you were supposed to do. You go four and two. That's a good trip. Five and one. That's a great trip. Six and all. Let's not get crazy. But if that happened now, you're, you're absolutely thrilled. And by the time they get back, they're down like to, you know, very few games left in the season, which is, you know, just, you know, bonkers. I think it'll be nine. I think they have 15 total games left and there'll be nine games left. Uh, to play in the season and six of those final nine are at home. So, so yeah, so it's, this is a, even though it's a road trip and it's a long one and it's a weird one, these are games that Boston should win. So I'm really looking forward. Let's see what they do with the Hawks. Like you said, Hawks are kind of Cavs-ish. Um, 
they're maybe figuring some stuff out under Quinn Snyder. We'll see. Um, but the Celtics should, with their relatively full complement of guys, should be able to give them more than enough problems to get that win. It's just a question of is the good stuff we saw from the Cavs game that carried into a big win against Portland, is that going to carry over here into wins against Atlanta and then hopefully a handful of other teams on this road trip? I was just adding there as well. I do feel like Jalen performs really well in Atlanta, going back home, playing in front of a hometown crowd. Like he enjoys it. He speaks about enjoying it every time he plays there. Um, I'd expect him to have a good night, uh, a big night. And they don't have a good matchup for him either. Like he's probably the guy because DeJounte Murray, as much as he's really good, he is not a really great like point of attack defender. He's better kind of in a team scheme doing other stuff. Um, so yeah, and then it's not, you know, you, you could say, all right, we'll put DeAndre Hunter on him, then who guards Tatum, right? And that just becomes kind of messy for them. I'm very I don't think Rob's gonna play. We haven't gotten any indication he'll play in the Atlanta game. My guess is he returns some point on this road trip. So I would hope that uh Joe Missoula doesn't look and say, ah, you know, they play Collins and Capella. I should probably go big. No, stay with the small group. Force them to adjust to you. Force John Collins to defend in space against Tatum or one of the guards or whoever it is like that. I, I want him to stick with the other group that started against Portland. I will say this. The one thing I think Murray's good at is like protecting driving lanes. Like, I think he's got the wingspan that when he digs on you, it, it does make you protect the ball. And like maybe that forces the pick up. Maybe it forces you into an earlier Euro step or whatever. Outside of that, I think if you can penetrate and not let his, his stunt slash dig affect you and you can keep him on your hip, I don't, I don't see him as a block threat. I do think he's a very good help defender. I think he's a good rotational defender in terms of switching and being able to read the play and move. Yeah. But you can expose him. I think you can exploit him a little bit there. And then obviously Trey Young, in my opinion, is one of the worst defenders in the history of point guard well and that's a bit extreme but he's definitely one of the i don't know like, i don't know if it is a bit extreme he might be on it <laughs> I, I think too with that one the celtics can't get caught up in just mismatch hunting and looking for trey young just play just play because you know what you'll find him like if you play the right way you'll find him or or maybe you won't because he might completely lose his man and that may be the guy who's open so ball player movement just like they started out the Trailblazers game keep everything moving that that's that's the key against this team because this Hawks team they're not going to make multiple rotations and multiple recoveries and helps and everything else it's going to be one maybe two and if you just keep that ball moving you're, you're going to find a good open shot and just to build on that a little bit more we've all seen how opposing teams stagnate when they overhunt mismatches when they're trying to find how's that and yeah. it really takes them out the flow of their offense and now all of a sudden their rhythm's gone, and if they do it on multiple possessions, it's really hard to snap back to what you were doing before you started overhunting those mismatches. Yeah. And the Celtics have an issue when the ball slows down. So ideally, I'd, I'd agree with you, don't hunt Trey, just play the right way, and just know that you've been the beneficiary of teams overhunting, so don't let Atlanta be that. Uh, yeah, if you're Tatum and you get an elbow touch and you turn and Trey Young's on you, yeah, go right. to work. Right, but that doesn't mean you have to run 18 screens to try to get Trey Young switched on to a guy. It's I always think about Brad Stevens talked about this when Isaiah Thomas was on the Celtics, and it was, you know, is it a problem when teams try to post him up? And he was like, Not really, because it's usually guys who don't do that and they're completely taken out of their offense, and we can generally survive it because it's 
players who don't post up trying to do a skill that they don't have just because you're looking at like, well, he's five foot nine. I want to go after that guy. And that's, that's something I think about too, is just a lot of times I think it's just run your stuff. Cause, cause again, you'll find him like, like, you know, or, or, or you won't because he's going to still be guarding a ghost at the perimeter off. That's already back cut him for a layup or something like that. So yeah, it's a, this is going to be a very important game and a couple of days off. That's not always been the best for the Celtics. Coming in with you know not not playing for two days, so we'll we'll see how that looks. But I think I think they found some stuff against Portland that you know at least if nothing else, or it's a reminder for all of us and for themselves. All right, we're, we're that team still. Like it's still there. It's not gone. Yeah, nothing's worse for the Celtics. Over like so, a couple of days off is bad. The only thing that's worse is a matinee game. <laughs> that's yeah. the only time they play worse is for everybody start. but you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I'm just like, you get to see them live they're they're like eh, let's let's kick the ball all around the gym and play like morons yeah <laughs> and it happens so consistently yep. right with that i want to let everybody get out of here keith um thank you as usual uh we'll be back next next monday right that's that's the plan. Yeah, we're looking at recording Mondays and Thursdays, and we'll recap what happened over the weekend, and then we'll we'll look forward to what's to come. In this case, it'll be the the rest of a pretty long, important road trip. So for us, we're going to leave you to it, and when we see you Monday, hopefully we don't have steam coming out of our ears because that means things went terribly wrong. Everybody have a good one.